you've paid more attention than I have in uh, I, I've seen you tweeting about it. What's going on with the Warner Amendment? I actually don't know all the provisions of what they were trying to regulate. I tried reading into it, but it's written in legalese. So what exactly is Congress trying to do to crypto? Yeah, so Congress is stupid um, as ever. I mean, that's so by way of background for your listeners, my name's Preston. Um, I'm, a, I'm an attorney. I'm also a solicitor in England and Wales, which is an English version of an attorney. And uh, I do a lot of crypto stuff. So I represent tech companies, crypto companies, you name it. Uh, if it's in cryptocurrency, I'll, I'll work with them. And I actually had a blockchain startup of my own back in 2014, which didn't go anywhere. So that was that was entertaining. Anyway, moving swiftly onward. The um, so this week there's been a lot of fuss and bother in Congress because Congress uh, has attempted. So they're passing this massive, like one and a half trillion dollar infrastructure bill with money that they don't have. Um, you know, as as is you know custom these days. And as part of this, they're they're trying to include a number of provisions which senators refer to as pay-fors, i.e. things that pay for uh, the infrastructure spending that they're financing. I mean, the, the real pay-for, right, is that the Fed is going to wind up buying these bonds, is going to wind up by buying American bonds, right? That's that's the real pay-for. But they pretend that they're actually going to pay for it by other means. And so in this instance, the argument went, listen, we're you know the problem with all them crypto people is that none of them pay their taxes. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pass a, a rule which requires anyone who's acting as an intermediary in the crypto space uh, to essentially to, to it, we're going to treat them the same way that we would treat, for example, a, a stockbroker, you know, your brokerage account in that at the end of every calendar year, uh, your broker sends if you deal in securities, your broker is going to send you a statement. It's called a 1099B uh, where they're going to account for your gains and losses for the year. Right. And that's also going to get sent to the IRS. So the idea is that they're doing financial surveillance on behalf of the IRS, reporting the transactions to the IRS. And then you have to report them on your individual tax returns in, in, in April. Uh, so that's the theory. Right. Now, what happens in crypto usually is that these entities aren't brokers. Right. For the purposes of uh, you know, internal revenue code, section six zero six thousand forty five or sixty forty five. Um, and so as a consequence, they weren't sending out like Coinbase, right? Coinbase, Kraken, right. Poloniex, they weren't sending out um, 1099s to their users uh, you know, who, who are trading in Bitcoin and other things on the exchanges because that's just not, you know, that's just not how they roll, right? That's not what they're into. And they weren't required to, so they didn't. Um, so the idea was, well, Coinbase clearly in the eyes of Congress, they're like, well, we want these people to start paying taxes on their trading profits. So we're going to tell Coinbase that in 2023, you've got to start uh, you know, tracking this information. And at the end of 2023 uh, fiscal, you're going to have to send out 1099s to your users who are then going to be expected to account for all of their trading gains and losses on your platform. So they proposed some language. So we, we can walk through the statute here. I've, I've pulled it up. Um, so returns of brokers, 26 U.S. Code 6045. Uh, any person or every person doing business as a broker shall, when required by the Secretary of the Treasury, make a return in accordance with such regulations as the Secretary may prescribe, showing the name and address of each customer with such details regarding gross proceeds and such other information as the Secretary may, by forms or regulations require with respect to such business, i.e. 1099s. If we then go over and say, well, every person doing business as a broker, broker, what does that mean, right? 
um, scroll down to section C1 or subsection C1 of section 6045, and we have the definition of broker, which goes, the term broker, broker, uh, includes a, that's, I couldn't tell myself, sorry. The term broker, many, many. Um, so the term broker includes A, a dealer, a barter exchange, a B, a barter exchange, and C, any other person who, for a consideration, i.e. For, for money, for as a business, uh, regularly acts as a middleman with respect to property or services. A person shall not be treated as a broker with respect to activities consisting of managing a farm on behalf of another person. Okay, fine. Now, so that's your definition. Now, Congress proposed to add the following, and this is actually after this evening, this is the current state of play. This is what the bill currently says. So they inserting after subparagraph C, so after the farm bit, they insert a new subparagraph D, any person who for consideration is responsible for regularly providing any service effectuating transfers of digital assets on behalf of another person. So that's the change, right? The issue with that, so if we want to break this down, right? Any person, um, you know. I'm a person. Well, so any person is any, I mean, essentially that's any person or entity, right? So a company, an LLP, a trustee, um, an individual, so any person who, okay? It's for consideration, for value. Um, and that can be any value, right? It can be a peppercorn, it can be access to services, doesn't really matter, is responsible for regularly providing any service, effectuating transfers of digital assets on behalf of another, right? So regularly means routinely, often, right? As a business all the time, any service, right? So that's pretty broad definition. That literally means any service effectuating transfers of digital assets. That's the big one. So what does it mean to provide a service effectuating a transfer of a digital asset? Um, so that's what scared the miners. That's, that's what scared just, people well, the validators. So if you think about it, what is like regularly providing any service effectuating transfers of digital assets. The problem is that it's really vague. So, so Senator Warner um, went onto the Senate floor and he was like, listen, uh, you know, this uh, this isn't meant to capture miners and all the rest of it, but that's not what the statute says, right? It says any service effectuating transfers of digital assets on behalf of another. So miners, not really miners as miners, right? So if you were solo mining in your right. closet, um, obviously it'd make a lot of noise and heat. So that's what people <laughs> So that's one thing good for heating your house in those cold New Hampshire winters. Get a miner, free state project member, and keep your house warm and make money at the same time. <laughs> Uh, prevent your roof from freezing over. Prevent ice damming. Um, anyway, so <laughs> I, should, I should do ads for the Free State Project. I know I mean, a couple of people who do that, though. Believe it or not, uh, <laughs> I know some people out near Keene who heat their entire property with miners. Keene people are weird, though. I mean, I said near Keene. They're not the ones in Keene. They're not the ones in Keene. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so no offense to the Keene people, but uh, but they're just they're they're pretty intense. So. So regularly providing any service effectuating into transfer digital assets. Most people don't um, mine on their own, right? You don't solo mine because it'll take you a billion years to find a block. So what you do is you join a mining pool and you pool your hash power. Uh, and yep. then if you are providing your hash power with other people and pooling it, you get little bitty rewards along the way. The issue is the, hash, the pool is operated by a pool operator, right? The pool operator is not you. And the pool operator, what they're doing is they're aggregating digital assets 
And then they are transferring those digital assets to their members once their holdings in the pool reach a set level, right? So if it's 0.01 Bitcoin, 0.01 Bitcoin, whatever. So there, that's one situation where you could say, okay, well, um, there's an issue here because you have a, a mining pool that is literally effectuating a transfer of a digital asset on behalf of another person, i.e. you. How uh, many of these mining pools are even in the United States, though? That's a good I, question. The answer so is... I know, I know the mining pool that I used to dedicate my hash power to when I was mining was in Iceland. Yeah. Uh, and, and the reason I chose Iceland is because they were the most profitable because they had the lowest electricity prices because of the free yeah. geothermal yeah. electricity. But Nope. I mean, that's a good question. And that's actually, I mean, at the moment, we don't really see a lot of mining pools in the United States, particularly proof of work right. mining pools. What we do see quite a bit more of are stake pools, valid staking validators um, with other, like the new, there's a whole new proof of space ecosystem that exists that uses hard drive space. There are proof of space pools based in the United States. So we don't usually see it with Bitcoin mining, right? Or, or, you know, right. or GPU mining pools don't run out of the U.S., with with stake and valid stake validation, we do see a lot more of that in the U.S. Um, and I'm not sure why. I think it's just because Bitcoin mining was one of those games where um, the Chinese got into it like early. And, <laughs> and I mean, dead serious. And it's right. it's like a, it's there's a ton of capex involved um, with it. Where I think with other types of transaction, and it, it's not the other thing to bear in mind here. And we'll talk about that in a second is that it's not, mining isn't transaction validation, right? Nodes perform transaction validation. Mining is finding blocks, right? And then what happens right. is when the miner finds a block, it then proposes the block to the other nodes, and then the nodes, nodes validate the block. So that's that's an important distinction, I think. So, but, but anyway, so that's one example of something which might be considered effectuating a transfer of a digital asset on behalf of another person. Similarly, however, uh, if you are running a validator, if you're running a validating node on a, so in Bitcoin, if you're running a full node, right, you don't have to be mining to be validating. So in Bitcoin, you're running a full node. Um, that could conceivably be effectuating transfers of digital assets on behalf of another, you know, in part. Like what, what's happening is someone proposes a transaction to the chain. If it works, it gets incorporated in a block. You then validate the block when it gets proposed to you. So it, have you suddenly now just you know, per performed this service? you, the individual node operator, um, as you're validating the chain. And that's an open question, which was addressed by a number of different amendments that were put forward by senators, which have now all been sunk, right? So the, none of them, there's all kinds of language that was in them. Well, now this makes me even matter because now I'm realizing this affects me on a personal level because I run a Bitcoin cash full node. I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a reasonable interpretation. Let me go get Jerry Brito's because uh, he will have right. the, sorry, I'm just pulling up some language. Well, as for the proof of stake, I think the reason you're seeing such a high push for proof of stake here in the United States is because of the low risk involved in it. And what I've gathered is a lot of people in the crypto space right now aren't really here for the technology. They're here for the investment. They're here to make money. They want the safe money. So vesting your die. I'm, I'm here for the women and booze, personally. That's, that's <laughs> the Lambo and the cocaine. Off-chain parties. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's a joke, everybody, in case you didn't get that. So then, so, so then, so then, so that, that was the proposal, right? And the other, so the idea was, so that was the proposal. It was, it's still in the bill. What happened was a bunch of different amendments were knocked around in the Senate over the last couple of days. 
there was a compromise position reached, but then Senator Shelby from Alabama attempted to add $50 billion of additional military spending into the infrastructure bill. And because he didn't get his amendment, he threw his toys out of the pram and, uh, and basically wouldn't allow the amendment to proceed, even though every other member of the Senate was okay with it. Uh, and so as a result, uh, you know, I'm pleased to announce my new uh, political party, uh, the Marmot Party, and our sole policy is to, have Al- is to get Alabama expelled from the union forever. I'm on board. Yeah, so <laughs> anyways, they, they tried to do a couple of different things, right? And so they, they started proposing carve-outs, right? So like, oh, we'll placate those crypto people. We'll create some carve-outs. So Senator Warner came up with a carve-out to this broker language by saying, oh, by the way, you know, okay, you'll be a broker if you effectuate, you know, if you regularly provide any service effectuating transfers of digital assets on behalf of another, fine. But you won't be for avoidance of doubt. This isn't going to be, you're not going to be a broker if you are, A, validating distributed ledger transactions through proof of work or selling hardware or software, the sole function of which is to permit persons to control a private key. So that was a disaster because people say, hold on a second, you said proof of work, but there's proof of stake, there's proof of space, there's proof right. of time, they're verifiable delay functions, there's proof of capacity, there's proof of, um, I can't remember what the Helium's is. There are a whole bunch of different consensus mechanisms which have come out in pretty much the last like two years other than, well, proof of stake is about as old as crypto itself. Um, so, but then all of these other things, there's been a ton of innovation and consensus in the last few years. And so the crypto community freaked out and said, you can't do that. And then they turned around and they said, okay, well, sorry, we didn't mean proof of work. We'll say proof of work and proof of stake. And everyone's just like, <laughs> like, like you, you don't get it. Like, and furthermore, right. They say in the, they, Senator Warner, um, said in the in the proposal it's validating distributed ledger transactions through proof of work or proof of stake as we know proof of work is not transaction validation proof of work is finding a block nodes perform transaction validation right so they perform the transaction validation after the block has been proposed um, and that's how it propagates across the network is that people accept it and then they gossip it to other nodes Similarly, with proof of stake, same thing. Proof of stake is a leader election process whereby the nodes of the network decide which block is who's going to propose which block that gets added to the chain next. The agreement, the process of validating that that decision is valid, is something which takes place network wide on every single node that is running the software. So you know, it's the language is imprecise, or was in that particular amendment was imprecise. Um, and, and as a consequence, uh, it just, I mean, it just, it reveals how little the Senate understands what they're trying to regulate. Um, well, that's the symptom of most of the problems we see some coming out of Congress is regulators failing to understand the basic concepts that they're trying to regulate. Yeah, essentially. So let me get the, let me see if the Loomis amendment, pull that up. That's the floor. Da, 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 da. If only they would have taken the approach that they had in the 90s when it came to the internet, said, we don't get it, just let it happen. Yeah, well, so that's the, well, right, well, that's that was Section 230, right? So Section 230, that's, and if you read yeah. the preamble to Section 230, which I'll pull up here. So, I mean, you think about, imagine, imagine Congress saying, passing a law that says this in it. It is the policy of the United States to promote the continued development of the internet and other interactive computer services and other interactive media. 
to preserve the vibrant and competitive free market that presently exists for the internet and other interactive computer services, unfettered by federal or state action. Can you imagine Congress saying that? You have Ilan Omar, yeah. who is suggesting that, you know, the internet needs to be, you know, nationalized and then turned over to the Southern Poverty Law Center for censorship. Like that's, that's <laughs> is currently running around, you know, Amy Klobuchar is proposing that, uh, that what that COVID misinformation be punishable with a jail term. I mean, it's just bonkers. The the total like the, the crazy part is a not insignificant number of the people who are currently in Congress were in Congress when that passed. Right, and they were only they were only in their seventies then. Right, <laughs> back in ninety six. Right, they're all in Congress when that passed, and like now they're just like it, it's I don't know the, the the whole U.S. We're gonna do, if we do this right, if we start right, anyway. Let's actually let's get back to the the matter at hand. Anyway, there was a compromise resolution which I didn't read because I was like I'll wait to see if it actually passes, um, and it didn't. <laughs> right, so it's like okay, because like at this point everyone's like bouncing back between different drafts, but. Like I have a job, so like, right. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say like, cool. Call me. Call me when the law passes, and then I'll be interested in what it says. And what wound up happening was whatever amendment there was, which had sufficient carve outs apparently for validators and the rest of it, um, it didn't make it right. So what we have now is we're back to square one. We are back to the original language in the bill, uh, which says you know any person who a broker is any person who for consideration is responsible for regularly providing any service effectuating transfers of digital assets on behalf of another. So with that definition, we know that mining pools right, are in it. Uh, miners and validators might be in it. I'd say probably not, plain and ordinary term. I don't think, I don't think it's the intent. Of, I mean, it depends on what the intent of Congress is, but my guess is that that's not going to be captured and the government isn't going to try to regulate it. But the point what about, is- What about liquidity pools? Good question. Or about um, liquidity pools that are completely decentralized and there is no central entity. It's just a smart contract. There you're you're probably looking at a broker within the definition. So you're, if you're if it's a liquidity pool, you're likely looking at a broker. If it's a DeFi uh, decentralized exchange, right? Good question. If you're running the UI for that, then you might be a broker. Um, you know, because you are providing a service which effectuates transfers of digital asset on behalf of other people. Um, you know, the fact that the, the peer-to-peer component is you don't hold the keys and it's non-custodial is irrelevant because the fact is this doesn't make any reference to custody. It makes reference to effectuating a transfer. You can effectuate a transfer without taking possession of the thing. So DeFi is squarely within the sights of this uh, regulation, right? Any, but, but again, we have to think about what it is. If you and I don't ever, like if you and I, you know, just decide one day, hey, let's go trade some assets um, and it's just a one-off. We are not any person who, for consideration, is responsible for regularly providing the service. We're users of the service, right? You could argue that maybe we're providers of the service, but if it's a one-off or very occasional, you're not really regularly providing that service, right? You're just engaged in a. You don't have to 1099 someone. But if you if you at a farmer's market, you trade an antique butter churn for a rocking chair, right? That's not the kind of thing where you need to file a 1099B. It's if you're offering a securities brokerage. That's when it is. So I think the platforms are probably squarely within it, whereas peer-to-peer users who are not sort of institutional, I know that there are people who, um, there are people who um, who operate 
these businesses, uh, they operate like like mom and pop businesses doing things like MEV front running or uh, <laughs> like like all kinds of crazy trading shit on Ethereum, exploiting various this and that. Like, okay, there maybe you would be engaged in a business of, of you know transferring digital assets on behalf of another if you were participating in like a Uniswap liquidity pool, right? And you were funding it and you were getting lots of money out of it. So that's potentially, yeah, that's potentially your risk because you're funding both ends of the pool, right? If you're doing that, you're funding one asset and the other asset and then other people are hopping in and trading with one another. Right, so, and that's a good concern because like DeFi and the liquidity pools are, are largely being accepted as the next step in DeFi in the, the way the liquidity pools work with smart contracts. It's been the whole basis of Eric Voorhees trying to outrun the regulators by decentralizing Shapeshift. Well, Voorhees, uh, Voorhees isn't dumb. Voorhees is smart. Um, he understands that. Uh, so he understands that the problem with DeFi. So, De, so again, this is let's back up. The, the good, good segue, right? <laughs> DeFi has also been in the crosshairs this week. Uh, SEC chairman uh, or last week, SEC chairman uh, Gary Gensler, who is like he's basically like a finance culture hero. He's like one of the most brilliant financial thinkers, you know, around. And it was a good appointment to, uh, to put him in charge of the SEC. So he's basically like, okay, cool. Uh, there's lots of securities trading going on and we're not going to stand for it. And, uh, and that includes DeFi platforms and that includes centralized exchanges like Poloniex. Um, so every, I think everyone in crypto has used Poloniex at least once if you've been around long enough. And Polo <laughs> just got hit with a, with a settlement. They just paid a $10 million settlement to the SEC for operating as an unregistered national securities exchange because they didn't register as a securities exchange and they were trading coins, which the SEC, in its view, were securities. So from that that standpoint, um, yeah, it, it, he's, he's going to be doing a lot more enforcement, I think, in the, in the DeFi space. Um, well, it, it, it brings me to like Elizabeth Warren last night before going on a rant about how important it is to regulate crypto and put barriers to entry. I uh, had a single sentence, which I thought was the most amazing thing regarding crypto to ever come out of Congress. And she what said, if there's a run on crypto, we might have to bail it out. Before that, before that, she said the biggest upside to cryptocurrency could be expansion or democratization of access to the financial system. Okay. And to me, I'm like, okay, Elizabeth Warren understands the upside of DeFi giving people access to financial systems where central banking and modern banking and regulatory burdens have kept them out and kept them poor. And then she followed it up with, we need to protect people by not letting them participate. Well, we need to protect people by exercising control, right? That's what they want. Right. Um, they want control. So that's they've been clear about that for a long time. So I think that, how to put it? Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. how to put it? DeFi kind of suffers from uh, a problem that there's not enough D and there's too much Phi. Um, and by this, I mean, Ether Delta, for example, was run out of some kid's room. It's a decentralized exchange, right? <laughs> it was run on a web server that was running under some guy's bed in Brooklyn, right? Like the UI, the entire front end was a web, it was a web service. So the architecture of DeFi to date has not been decentralized, right? It's been entirely centralized and the centralization. So like, it's not like you're downloading a, a you know, client side application, which runs entirely on your computer, then goes and finds some peers, goes to a contract address, 
and then figures it all out on itself, right? Most of the matching is being done by a matching engine, which is being run on a server somewhere and not, you know, not by the protocol itself. So there, I think this was probably a reg arb play. I think a bunch of people who were starting DeFi protocols thought, hey, we're being super clever. And we're just going to put most of it on the chain, but not all of it. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, with those companies that did that uh, and, and the view that the regulators take on that kind of activity. Um, because yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see what happens. I think that where we're going, though, you know, where the destination is of all this, is that we're likely going to be in a place in, well, I don't know, a year, year and a half, where most of that architecture has been removed, the centralized architecture. And you just have open source software, which people publish, which as soon as you download it, uh, you know, it tells you to go find some peers, you go find your peers and you're off to the races. Uh, and you're not actually using the centralized counterparty anymore. Um, what you would need to do that, right, is you need to be able to run full nodes or get access to full right. nodes through services like Infura um, so that you can talk to the, you can hit the chain and figure out what's going on. Um, I don't know if you could do this with an SPV wallet. Maybe you could, um, but I'm guessing you probably couldn't. Um, well, back to Voorhees then. You said Voorhees isn't a stupid guy. He's a smart guy who knows what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, he has openly said what he's doing is trying to outrun the regulators. All they did with Shapeshift was decentralized, tokenized, form a DAO, but they turned the Shapeshift website just into a UI for Uniswap. There you go. So, I mean, so at, that, at that point, it's just, yeah, at that point, yeah, well, it's a UI for Uniswap. Great. Well, you you got to basically you would the last piece that you have to remove in that equation, I suspect, to outrun the regulator is the UI, right? So the and someone tweeted about this today, a guy who actually works at Stripe, and he was like, the infrastructure in crypto is like unreal, like the amount of infrastructure that exists and has been built. But what sucks is the UX, um, and so you know most of the, to, to date, there's been like the shortcut has been oh well we'll just spin up a web page. And that'll be what allows people to go and talk to the decentralized protocols. The next step, right, is that you are going to remove the person who for consideration is responsible for regularly providing the service. If the service is not being provided by anyone, if it's being provided by the blockchain, right, a smart contract, and you're just hitting, you're just hitting the blockchain, right, and you're not going through a web server or anything like that, arguably, right, that isn't captured by this provision of the internal revenue code if it were if it were implemented. Uh, I'm sure the IRS would take a different view, particularly if you use this with regularity or if you're providing a liquidity pool uh, for the protocol or if you're providing some like layer two, right? All of layer two is captured here, particularly. So if you're running a lightning node, if you're doing like a roll up side chain on Ethereum and you're getting paid for it and that is effectuating transactions and digital assets. The other, I mean, the other thing is on behalf of, so that, that's interesting language here. And so we'll just reread this for all of our listeners one more time. And I apologize if I sound like a broken record, but like it, the language with these things is really specific. So any person who for consideration is responsible, so it has to be a person, has to be for money, is responsible. They have to be in control for regular, regularly providing, you know, that's as a going concern, any service, any service, effectuating transfers, plain and ordinary meaning of digital assets, fair enough, not defined, but it works on behalf of another person. So query, like, do you need custody to be doing something on behalf of? Do you need some agency relationship to be doing something on behalf of? 
you know, is Amazon doing something on behalf of me? If I'm like hitting, if I'm hit, if I'm transacting in Bitcoin and I'm running a Bitcoin node on AWS, um, you know, is, is, is Amazon transacting on behalf of me I, or am I transacting on behalf of myself? And they're just a passive technology provider. Good questions all. Um, but I think the answer is if this provision goes in and you don't have express carve outs that say validation, mining and software development and publication are carved out from the ambit of this provision for avoidance of death, uh, you run a very major, what's the risk is that basically there's an element of uncertainty, which is introduced into every company's business activities in the crypto space. And as a result, they're going to have to spend money that they wouldn't normally have to spend on tax attorneys who are stupidly expensive, excuse me, for, uh, you know, to go and manage, uh, to go and manage that risk. And so that, that's, that's the view from 30,000 feet. It's stupid. It's annoying. Um, it likely touches DeFi. It likely touches layer two. Um, less likely uh, mining pools, but but you know I'd say 50-50. Uh, and then not likely, you know I'd say maybe one chance in fifty um, for a miner right at home. Right. I think that's so that that's a pretty low or a software dev who just publishes code and doesn't actually run any of the infrastructure associated with it. See, I, I feel like this almost encourages centralization of Bitcoin, or at least offshoring it. Like you're you're going to see anybody who is running a mining pool, anybody who is like, there's no reason for Voorhees to stay in the U.S. anymore. Uh, bounce off to St. Kitts and Nevis and just spin up shapeshift there. But Coinbase, uh, you mentioned like Coinbase just got told they had to start sending out 1099s. I got a 1099 from Coinbase six years ago. I think I think I think they do it if you do it over a certain volume. Right. So that was the last time I ever used Coinbase. They don't have to do it in the same way that brokers have to. Yeah. I think it's like if you go over a certain threshold on Coinbase Pro or Coinbase, they'll send you a 1099. But if you're just buying Bitcoin, they're not going to do that. So whereas I think now the idea is it's a report which goes out which says these are all your transactions and here's your 1099B. So it's increasing the number of 1099s that they're going to need to send out. Not that they send out 1099s at all. So that's the that's the difference. Yeah, so I just remember getting one without warning from Coinbase. I'm like, well, fuck, never using them again. And that was the last time I ever logged on. Um, uh, would you have agreed in 50 billion in new defense spending? Yes or no? No. I mean, I'm just answering your Twitter poll. <laughs> well, I'd ask somebody in the other room before you logged on, and they said yes in a heartbeat. Uh, really? Because the money's going to get spent anyways. Yeah, it's this was what's what's another 50 billion? Um, you know, it's all gonna it's all gonna go on fire anyway. It's all gonna the whole thing is gonna burn down event. The thing the thing that amazes me about all this is that the people who are spending all of this money, like the Republicans like cherish our military and 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 you know institutions and the Democrats cherish the welfare state and they're doing everything in their power to destroy it. Like <laughs> like this is not sustainable, period what they're doing. And, and literally like, there's just no cognizance of like the amount of risk that they're creating in the system. Um, like if you, if you love the country and you love the system and you love the politics, do it sustainably. But like, if, like $6 trillion in like what a couple of months they've spent it. They've got how many COVID rescue packages have gone through. I think the, the debt's gone up eight or $9 trillion in the last two years. Like it just bonkers. I remember when it was like 3 trillion total, back in like 2000, 2002, and everyone was balking it at then. And now nobody even bats an eye. 
So it's just it's just staggering. No, it, it got to the point the 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 way the debt's gone, the way the deficit's gone in this country, it's gotten to the point where people ask me is like, how can you oppose student uh, the, uh, liberals? Will ask me how can you oppose student loan relief? I'm like, actually, I don't. At this point, I don't because it's now such a small percentage of the total debt that it wouldn't be increasing the debt all that much, and it would have been a more effective stimulus package than the $2,000 checks. Yeah. Yeah, it would have, actually. But, you know, but they're probably going to write it off. That's my guess. They've already kicked the can down to December because they said, well, you know, you've only had 18 months off from, from loan payments, so we don't want to surprise you, so we're going to give you another six months. It's like I was shocked, and I, I had predicted, and I put money on, I lost 50 bucks on a bet that Donald Trump was going to executive order student loans away before the end of his, uh, before the election because he was going to take – I said Donald Trump will do it, and it will take all the wind out of the Democrat sails, and the one thing they've been campaigning on won't be there for them anymore. And I was shocked that he didn't do it. But to be fair, anyone who attended an American educational institution did get ripped off. Um, like that's like I think right. that's beyond any shadow of doubt. I went to so I went to law school in two different countries, and there's a movement afoot at the moment in the law schools to do this thing called diploma privilege, which is where if you attend the law school, you <laughs> automatically are conferred with the license at the conclusion, right? And all of these law professors, there's this guy who's the dean of Willamette. And he's like, yeah, no, you know, the bar is just such a financial burden for everybody because <laughs> the students, they need to spend $3,000 on bar prep and like $500 on the fees. And you're just like, you're like, do you realize you charge $42,500 a year in tuition? Like the bar, <laughs> the bar review course, my, my annual tuition in England, like back in, it was like eight or nine thousand pounds, like max. Like it might have even been less at the time. Might have been like seven thousand pounds. Now it's nine thousand, which is about twelve thousand, like four hundred and eighty dollars. So, so basically, the law schools in the U.S. charge minute for just for tuition, minimum three x. If you're at like Columbia, it's four or five six x. Because I think it's I think Columbia charges like seventy thousand a year. Let's see. No, I read your post the other day about the idea of just getting rid of the degree requirement. It's yeah, so it's fifty six thousand dollars, Columbia. So that's four x what I paid for my law degree in England. The material between the two countries is exactly the same. The books are the same. This could all be delivered by like a MOOC, and these schools are basically using the grad students and particularly the credentialing function that they serve. Right. So if, like if you go to Columbia Law, you're first in line to get the plum jobs at the big you know, hot shit New York City law firms when you get out, provided that you don't have a dog shit GPA when you leave. <laughs> so so that's why people do it, right? But they leave these schools with like 150 grand in tuition debt, and then you add on another 30 or 40 uh, in living expenses that they've racked up over the three years. And then you add four grand for the bar prep, right? So three grand for bar prep and, and sitting the bar. And then you fail the bar and then people go, oh, you know, damn that bar exam. I spent all that money just to fail it. It's like, no, not damn the bar exam. Damn the law school. They've, they've overcharged you by 4X. And all of that has been subsidized by the federal government. So the federal government subsidizes the loans, right, and guarantees the loans. So people make the loans. The students go to the schools. They pay, you know, top dollar to go to the schools. And then when they leave, right, like only a select few get good jobs and the rest of them are in, in indentured servitude. For like the next 20 years, it's just, it's total to a bank. It's totally fucking crazy. Totally, totally crazy. And that's, 
<laughs> but that that's the system in which we live and that's like yeah it is this it can't end soon enough well I, I can't i can't say that i got ripped off on my education um not that i've used it i have a degree in homeland security i don't work in homeland security and i'll never work for the government in my life uh, but i had made that decision at that point but my senior year of college was 2013. I spent the entirety of 2012 and 2013 mining Bitcoin in my dorm room using the school's electricity. <laughs> you, you did okay. <laughs> you did right. That was back when I could do it on my just regular old desktop. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Um, yeah, you did all right. That's all right. That's, uh, well, good for you. Yeah, you bastard. <laughs> right. Here's the thing. It's like, I, I can point back... One of the wallets I have, I, I imported an old wallet into the Bitcoin.com wallet. Yeah. And the Bitcoin.com wallet has this horrible feature, which I, I like I've been begging them to get rid of the feature where if you scroll back, it'll tell you the value of the transaction now and the value when you spent it in US dollars. Yep. So there's like times like, oh, oh, I spent oh, I spent six hundred thousand dollars on rent that month. <laughs> Bonkers, <laughs> bonkers. Yeah. So, oh, it's yeah. Bitcoin's one of those things where, like, do you think about all the things you could have, would have, should have done, and it's just like you just <laughs> you can't do that. You'll drive yourself completely bonkers. <laughs> but like, you know, who knew, right? Who knew? Right. There's some people who knew. They were the crazy ones, and they were right, and they did very well for themselves, uh, and they deserve it. Right. So, so where anyway. do we go from here? So, what what does crypto have to do to adapt to this new environment from here? Uh, the bigger companies need to do a better job at edu at selling the tech to Congress. I mean, Congress clearly just views it as a the, the opinion of Congress mm -hmm. at the beginning of this week, overwhelmingly, in particular the Senate, was that crypto is a bunch of money laundering, tax evading tech bros uh, who, who didn't care about anything and you know, weren't good, responsible citizens. I think that there's an opportunity oh, here. I mean, well, like I think there's an opportunity here yeah. to change those perceptions. Um, you know, talk about issues like financial inclusion, all the rest of it. We held up the infrastructure bill for a week. Like that's not bad. So the, clearly, the response from the community uh, to the bill was overwhelming, and clearly, Congress, you know, has gotten the hint that this is a big deal. And there's a, at least an attitude among the more conservative parts of the Congress. Uh, that this could be another goose you know, laying a golden egg and they don't want to kill it. Um, much like, you know, the internet, you know, laid the gold. I mean, there's a reason that I got a lot of flack for this. I put up a tweet the other day and I said, there's a reason that English, England doesn't have any social media companies. And there's a reason that France doesn't have much of a financial services industry. Um, and if the white house gets its way, there's going to be a reason that America is not going to lead crypto um, because they're, they're try clearly trying to pass overbroad legislation, which is going to spook people out of doing business here. Um, and and so, and I think that's where this ultimately comes from. It probably comes from the White House. It probably comes from some of the hard left, right? So the, the squad types who have MMT people on their staffs. And my guess is that they probably had a whip round and were like, you know what, let's show those crypto guys who's boss because they're getting in the way of our money printing operation. Uh, and if because if hyper Bitcoinization occurs, we're no longer going to be able to you know print our way out of problems. So we better we better keep them in line. And this is how we're going to start doing that with this financial surveillance provision. So so what? So I think it's positive in that we've clearly gotten everyone's attention. Um, and there's nothing wrong with 
getting the world's attention. I think that's a very good thing. And I think it was, there's a lot of opportunities to be positive about it. So that's the first thing. The second thing that has to be done is we need to get cypherpunk as hell and decentralize <laughs> it all, right? And so the, ultimately the, the, best, the best defense is a good offense, right? And in, in crypto terms, offense is always defense, right? It's always, crypto is a defensive weapon. Um, it's, it's not something, it's designed to prevent attacks. It's designed to conceal. It's designed to protect. It's not designed to destroy. So it's, but it is a weapon, right? And so it's something where we will, I think we're probably going to see a ton of focus and development on zero knowledge encryption and homomorphic encryption, uh, in, in, uh, in crypto in the, in the coming years and months. Um, so homomorphic encryption is, is kind of hard to describe. It's that you, it's like how to put it. Um, you know that a question has been answered correctly without knowing uh, what the question is or the answer is. I think that's a, a good way to, to say. It sounds very it. similar to the zero knowledge proof. Exactly. It's basically you know somebody has the key without them ever showing you the key. Right. And you know, and you know that a transaction was validly executed between Alice and Bob, even though you don't know who Alice and Bob are. You don't know the details of the transaction. You don't know right. anything about it. You just know that something valid happened. Um, and so we've, we've seen some early implementations of that with Monero uh, and Zcash. Uh, we well, haven't Zcash. seen. Yeah, Zcash is cool. Zuko is cool. Um, Monero is cool. Rick Spagney is very very cool. Um, so so yeah, I mean that's they're they're both cool projects with cool communities. I expect that they're going to be the first of their of their type and not the last. Um, I did have a. I did have a snark with a Zcash maximalist a couple of weeks ago uh, after an exchange. He went to go send me some Zcash, and I gave him a shielded address, and he sent me an unshielded transaction. Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, you're the privacy maximalist here. <laughs> like, That's funny. That's for unshielded transaction, my God. So, um, yeah, so that's God. Anyway, yeah, I mean, but we're going to see more of that. I think that's that's the answer to the question uh, is that we're going to see a ton more innovation on that. We will also see innovation um, in terms of crypto, in terms of like consensus. Uh, mining is a big vulnerable point for Bitcoin. We saw recently that the Chinese basically banned uh, all mining in Xinjiang, um, and so something like thirty to forty percent of the world's hash rate went offline in a matter of days because the Communist Party said, "Okay, well, you're taking all of our electricity, and we're not going <laughs> to." Targets, so you, you need to turn off those machines. So all the machines got turned off. A lot of them began relocating. Uh, some of those are relocated to the United States. Um, but the same Communist Party that just starved and droughted the nation of Thailand and Vietnam by drying up the entire Mekong Delta so they could build a dam. That's complaining about other people using the electricity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that, that's, that is, that is exactly right. Hey buddy, what's going on? Yeah. I have a, sorry, one second. I have a poodle that's trying to get my attention. Hey bud, I'm just on a call. Can you give me two seconds? <laughs> just two seconds? Can you give me? Okay. Last time I saw him, he was sick. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. He, uh, that's a, that's a, yeah. He was, he was sick because he ate too much bacon at pork fest. So that was, um, so he's currently jumping on the side of the chair. So I'm Did you buy the bacon with cryptocurrency? That's Hold, on. Hold on, I'm trying to grab him. Here's my little dude. Who's a good boy? Yes, you're so good. <laughs> you're so good. Say hello to all the libertarians. Hello, libertarians. 
Good man. Yeah. At one point, I did joke. Uh, the guy selling bacon on the field at Porkfest had asked me if there was a way to check the transactions and the uh, transaction fees on his Bitcoin wallet because mm -hmm. so many people kept sending him one dollar of Bitcoin for bacon. And I'm like, sure. I walked him through it, and like everybody was paying like four or five dollars of fees to send him one dollar for for bacon, and he That's just thought crazy. it was hilarious. That is pretty funny, but like you know what? They're transacting in Bitcoin. It's, it's you know at least they're I using use Bitcoin Cash. <laughs> yeah, it's at least you don't use Bitcoin SV. If you use Bitcoin SV, I might never speak to you again. Uh, well, you don't think Craig Wright is Satoshi? Uh, no. One of the one of the greatest callouts of Craig Wright I've ever seen. I forget who it was, but they lost a lawsuit in the UK. Craig Wright sued them uh, over hosting the white paper, saying it was his intellectual property, mm -hmm. and he won the lawsuit. And so they posted up on Twitter, "Okay, Craig, we acknowledge you won the lawsuit. We will pay the damages. We assume you'll take Bitcoin." We'll pay them to the address on block eight. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's incredible. Yeah, um, that's that's very funny. No, but back to the 1099 thing. One, one of the revelations I had a few months back was that I think one of the best things that's going to come out of 2021, mm -hmm. as terrible as this year has been for crypto, for legal, for the pandemic, for the economy, <laughs> I think we're going to see a huge surge in Reddit socialists becoming anti-tax libertarians when they get their 1099 from Robin Hood. Hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah, that might be. <laughs> All those Dogecoin thousandaires are going to get really pissed off when the government wants a cut that they don't have. Yeah, right. All the, all the DGENs who've been buying uh, you know, GME and, uh, and Doge. Right. That'll, that'll be that'll be a fun uh, that'll be a fun experience, right? And then they went and spent it all or blew it on God knows what. They get a ten ninety nine and they can't. What is wrong, buddy? I know, I know. Hold on. Here we go. Ugh, sorry. Dogs, <laughs> dogs being difficult again. I saw one of the GameStop kids who he had cleared like six million dollars on GameStop mm -hmm. uh, in the matter of weeks, and he's like, "Ha I'm a good guy. I'm going to give it all away and dumped every dime of it via cash app to people. And then somebody comments on his uh, Twitter. He's like, you know, you got to pay taxes on that. He's like, what? <laughs> it's like giving away $6 million to your friends on the internet is not charitable deduction. Yeah, that all this shit is just yeah. Anyway, pardon my French. I know it's a podcast. Anyway, I, where were we? we yes, okay. We're already been demonetized. So, yeah. <laughs> why do you sit there? He's uh, the poodles right. being. Uh, being right. So, con so Congress has fucked shit up. Yeah, Congress has fucked shit up. Crypto needs to innovate. Crypto really needs to work on decentralization. Yeah. Um, ha have you paid attention to what Voorhees has been doing with Shapeshift? Not in detail. I trust him enough to know that he's doing it correctly. Okay. I, I wasn't even aware that Shapeshift had decentralized. That's how disconnected I've been in my own little world up in here in New Hampshire until yeah. I got an airdrop of $1,200. I, I said it at the beginning of the podcast. I'll say it again. He's not in New Hampshire. He's in Afghanistan. Look. <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 until all of a sudden I get a notification on my Ethereum wallet that says, you've received 1200 Fox token. And I'm like, what the fuck is a Fox token? What is that? That's Shapeshift's new token. Oh, okay, interesting. Uh, for their DAO. And they just airdropped it to anybody who had ever used Shapeshift ever. 
Excellent. Well, I mean, I wish them luck. I mean, I, I, I like Voorhees. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's, um, he's a straight shooter. He's got a good head on his shoulders, the right ideas, and he's been around forever. So what's, well, what's, that, it's just a big concern to me is he's been the whole thing about what he's been doing is staying one step ahead of the regulators. And it feels like they just caught up. If what he's doing is just operating a UI for liquidity pools on Uniswap's platform. Mm-hmm. And if operating that UI is covered as operating a brokerage, then so, they yeah, might they just cut the, up. The question is whether operating a UI is what? Can you see him on a call? Someone's being <laughs> very difficult. The the issue with operating UI is that the definition of, of operating a national securities exchange is like effectuating transactions. Blah 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 blah. Um, so I think that I think that the question will be whether the Exchange Act and that provision of the Exchange Act applies to the provision of a UI only. Yeah. yeah do you hear? Are you hearing this? <laughs> what, look, I get it. I bet it, we've been on for an hour, so I might propose we wrap up because I think I think someone's demanding uh, either attention, food, or, or going outside. So either way, I have I have responsibilities. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, no, I know. Just give me one more second. We're just wrapping up here, okay, buddy? Just wrapping up. Anyway, it'll be interesting to see. I'm going to read the Poloniex case um, or the Poloniex settlement tonight to see what the commission's view is, because I think there were some um, there was some logic in there and some reasoning <laughs> about. Do you mind? I'm, I'm on a podcast. <laughs> Look, I get it. I get it. You're very cute. And it's just jealous that he's not on the podcast. Huh? He's just jealous that he's not on the podcast. Well, he he could be on the podcast if he wanted to be. I mean, you just gotta you just gotta learn. It. It's weird. This is a new dog. He's a puppy. I haven't had a dog since I was a kid. And so, as you can see, he gets very chatty from time to time. And about about this time of the evening. So I'm currently at my desk in my room, right? So what he usually wants is he wants to go. So I, I, I give him little beds and I put them all over the house. And there is workstations that where he hangs out one of his workstations is on the couch in the living room because I figured you could have a fight with him about not being on the couch or being on the couch, or I could just put his couch, put his bed on the couch, and then he just stays there. So in the early evenings, he expects me to leave my desk and go in there and sit next to him on the couch. So he knows, <laughs> he knows that it's late and he knows that I'm still here. And so he start, he's seven months old and he's starting to complain. Yeah, he doesn't need to go outside. He's playing with his toys. So he's starting to what this is, what you're seeing here, is he's yeah. starting to complain, being like, hey, workday's over, buddy. Like, it's time for you to come inside <laughs> and hang out on the couch. And then we'll just like chill. We'll just chill on the couch, crack open some beers, have a nice time. So like that's 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 what I live with. It's this little this little monster. Uh, he's a great guy. He's a great guy to hang out with. And um, anyway. So crypto. Uh, yeah, crypto's an interesting space. It's gonna be very interesting the next year or two to see what. Um, what happens on a, from a regulatory standpoint, because very clearly now we have the government's attention, right? There's no, this is no more like, this is, we're not in a situation anymore. Where it's like, oh yeah, it's just a fringe hobby of a bunch of whatever. No, like this held up the biggest spending bill of the year for a week. This where we made it, we're here. Um, so there's going to be a lot more lawyering involved in this space, which is great news for me. Uh, <laughs> Bad news for me. And bad news for everybody else, but good news for the lawyers. Right. It's like the worst thing about being a lawyer is that like you make money when on the basis of other people's misfortune. Um, it's like if they, if someone has an issue, like you're like, great, this is going to be really expensive to fix. 
Like I feel bad for him, but like it's it's a bummer that it's happening. And like I'm, but you know that's that's my job to come in and fix these things. So um, so, I need some time to tell you about my experience with Massachusetts firearms lawyers. Oh my god! Look, I can only imagine (laughs) Massachusetts. You say Massachusetts and firearms, and I slowly melt into my shoes. Um, (laughs) Like I'm from Connecticut. Like we're surrounded. We've got Massachusetts in the north, New York. New York to the west and Rhode Island to the east, like it, we're we're surrounded, you know, by by people's republics that uh, that are very anti-gun. And here it's a shall issue state. So even though we have an assault weapons ban, but yeah. Anyway, crypto really interesting. I think this bill. There's the next steps for the bill. You know that we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, uh, or that it's going to be. Uh, it goes. This goes to the House. The Senate process is now done. So this then goes to the House. If the House manages to change it up. Uh, which it seems you know, maybe they'll do. They now that we've got the Senate's attention, um, you know, then potentially when the the two house chambers go to reconcile the differences between the two bills to send a final bill to President Biden for his signature, um, then you know they'll have to decide which provision stays and which one goes. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens. But overall, I think actually this is massively bullish for crypto. Uh, Senator Loomis said that, you know, this is the future of everything. Senator Toomey uh, said something to the effect of crypto is too big to stop and it would be unwise for us to attempt to stop it. So, you know, they, they get the direct, everybody sees where this is going. This is like. And that's the thing, as bad, as bad of news as this is, the markets have been incredibly bullish all day. Well, I mean, I don't think it's bad news. I, I honestly don't think it's bad news. I think that with good tax, it's, it is bad news because it will require every startup operating on layer two to get very expensive tax advice before they open up shop, or they will have to figure out other ways to remove themselves from layer two uh, or fully, or, you know, in the case of like DeFi, fully decentralize uh, the DeFi offerings uh, so that, so that, you know, we're getting more and more cypherpunk or obscuring transactions so that users who run these things are not going to be found, right? Running them over Tor uh, as a Tor hidden service, for example, as bad as that is, um, you know, it's you know from a privacy standpoint, it, that's if you there's not enough of that in the space. Most actually of it, using your shielded transactions. Well, but like yeah, like people don't like most people who run Bitcoin nodes or crypto nodes are not. They're doing it like in the clear. Like if you run a if you crawl. The Bitcoin network with a bot, you'll go pick up 10, 20,000 nodes, like no problem. And you'll see their actual IP addresses, right? They're not running right. it as a hidden service. So I would expect, I would hope that, you know, just for privacy enhancement, something that the next set of crypto protocols will do is, they, you know, they'll have clients, which for ordinary users will automatically run, uh, you know, encrypted traffic, right? That, that might be useful uh, from a privacy standpoint. So, but we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. It's all going to be very, very interesting to watch. Um, you know, particularly as the world, the internet everywhere is getting it to be a more authoritarian and difficult to do business kind of place. Uh, China pioneered the model. Europe is following China's example. America would like to follow China's example. <laughs> Only the private companies are doing it. The internet architecture itself isn't doing it. Just uh, it's companies like Twitter and Facebook are. And so we're, it'll be interesting to see what happens as the internet splits apart uh-huh. into different zones and crypto is going to transcend all of them uh, and traverse all of them. And it'll well, be fascinating. One thing's for sure is it's going to be a fun ride. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> talking about picking the right industry, man. I, 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 <laughs> I, I picked the absolute, 
absolute right thing to do um, <laughs> for for a for a living. I, people thought it was crazy when I quit my big law job in 2014 to go do a crypto startup. They were like, "You are out of your goddamn mind." And uh, it turned out it was the best move I ever made. So, all right. Well, like, final minutes here, Preston. Let everyone know where they can follow you and learn more about what you're doing. Yeah, you can find me at Preston J. Byrne. That's B-Y-R-N-E. It's the funny spelling of Byrne uh, on Twitter. Or you can find me at PJB on Gab. And, uh, and yeah, all my contact information is there. All right. Well, it's been a great conversation. Great having you. Can't wait to see you again in New Hampshire soon. And yep. can't wait for you to move and come up here full time. Can't wait. See you soon. All right. Have a nice night, bud. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. As always, big shout out to our guests and our viewers for making this show worth doing. And make sure you check out the links in the description to follow up and learn more. And always, as always, check out our sponsored merch over on 